I believe that every athlete in the world is creative. Just look around. And so if I really want to connect and to a happy place, I listened to some of the music that was on, we call it pirate radio station. Float like my jumper wet, sting like a bumblebee, I swing like a lumberjack, go back when I'm up at bat. Uh, when you are in the locker room uh, in every team in Mexico, pick that song to motivate and increase the energy. No juice. Hey, this is Casey Dunow, and sadly, there is no Peter Dunow today. He could not make this episode. I know he's super bummed to miss it, but he will be back with the Athletes Playlist in the future. Nevertheless, welcome to the Athletes Playlist, where we ask your favorite athletes about their favorite music. Our guest today is Federal Way local and Seattle Sounder favorite, Lamar Nagel. As many of our listeners know, Lamar spent seven great seasons with the Sounders and nine in MLS altogether. Over that time, he amassed 40 goals and 25 assists in league play and won one Supporter Shield, two U.S. Open Cups, and one USL Second Division Championship, just for good measure. He also sits fourth all-time for the Sounders' leading goal scorers behind Freddie Montero, Clint Dempsey, and Obafemi Martins, whoever those guys are. Since retiring (laughs) from MLS, Lamar has gone on to play professional indoor with the Tacoma Stars and also dabbled in youth coaching. I'm absolutely stoked to have someone who can truly rep the Pacific Northwest on the show. Lamar, how are you doing? Good, man. Good. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So as a reminder to listeners, we like to highlight a few songs that have been meaningful to our guests at various times in their lives. We're going to kick off today's episode with an early 2000s song, Fit for a Man with Notoriously Good Fashion, and that is Air Force Ones by Nelly, featuring Murphy Lee, Ali, and Kiwan. Air Force Ones by Nelly. This show is about sports and music, but it's also about culture, and you couldn't really find a combination of things more at the center of early 2000s culture than Nelly and a good pair of Air Force Ones. So my first question to you is, did you own a pair of Air Force Ones? Oh, it was, how many did you own? Ah. Yeah, no, I, I, owned, I owned a lot. I mean, that was late high school, so I had a job as well, so okay. all the money either went to um, buying CDs, yep. buying Air Force Ones, or buying jerseys. That was pretty much <laughs> pretty much it if I wasn't trying to save a little bit. But um, for the most part, those are my three buys every single time. I feel, did you have a favorite pair? Did you have like a sacred pair for special occasions? Uh, no, I mean, I had them for different jerseys. So I had, gotcha. obviously you have to have the all whites and the all blacks and you got high tops and low tops. But I had like, I had like a pair of LA Laker ones that were yellow and the LA Laker sign on the back. I had a pair of green ones for my Boston Celtics during my Supersonic jerseys. I had red, white, and blue ones for the throwback Wizards jersey. I had uh, I had quite a few. All right, that's that's baller. Any favorite jerseys though? 
Uh, I mean, I had the Gary Payton. That was a that was a huge one. I had you know Kobe. I actually had a Minneapolis Lakers. It was like some random uh, throwback one. I got like at, Mar- at Marshalls. It was a Gary Payton uh, Minneapolis Lakers jersey. I love it. Uh, my Paul Pierce. I was a Boston Celtics fan uh, okay. when Paul Pierce was was killing it. Him and like Antoine Walker. Um, so I got a, I had a Pierce jersey too. That that was one of my favorites. I like that. You did you you've been yeah. watching the Last Dance? I haven't actually. Oh, I haven't. Man. I think I might be the only person, only athlete, not watching it. <laughs> I definitely got to get on it, but I haven't checked it out. For me, it's been a lot of uh, Disney and Pixar. Uh, my kids are kind of hogging the TV lately, so I got you. Yeah. You got to make the sacrifices. Um, all right, yeah. another song about, or another question about the music stuff, because I notice. Now, this happens a lot. When I send the prompts for you guys to give me the songs, I usually say two or three songs, but I know that's it's too hard to <laughs> narrow it down like that. So yeah. not only did you send me a lot of songs, but you also sent like some full albums, which I've never gotten that before, but I respect it because a lot of people, I yeah. feel like in the days of Spotify, only know single songs from a track. So for you, where do you stand on like songs versus listening to the full album? Do you have to have the whole thing? Yeah, I think you have to have a full, especially like if you support the artist. If you just like a song to like yeah. a song, that's fine to get a song. But like, if you really like, if you really mess with like an artist, go buy their album. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. I think that's, and that was just me. Like back in the day, obviously this was high school, so I you had to buy the whole album, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There so were, yeah, for me to like, uh, and then it's in your Walkman. It's not like on an iPod, iPod or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so you're you're listening through the whole CD like multiple times, and that was me with like the Boys to Men, um, really in like junior high and high school, yeah, and that whole R and B scene. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you can get a deeper understanding of an artist and a and a way better connection when you have the whole thing for sure. Um, yeah. Getting into the the soccer side of it a bit a bit, you you mentioned you know, you have your basketball jerseys and all that. And I was kind of wondering, like, how did you choose soccer? Um, was basketball big where you're, where you're growing up? And how'd you make that choice? How'd you get into it? Yeah, basketball was huge. That was my favorite sport. Um, growing up all the way through high school, really, uh, soccer was just what everybody did, uh, at my elementary. So in Federal Way, that's mm. everybody played. All the athletes played, played soccer. They didn't really play. They played basketball. Like we, a lot of us played on the same basketball teams, like boys and girls clubs in elementary, but everybody, it was soccer every single day, straight to the soccer field. So that's why it was a, a majority of soccer being played. And then it was competitive soccer then year round. But if I hadn't grown up in the area that I grew up, it would have been either uh, basketball or football. My dad was a big uh, basketball, baseball, football guy. He's from, from Georgia and he was my coach when I was younger. So he didn't know anything about soccer. So if I hadn't grown up, in federal way then i would have been playing something else yeah so wait did he coach your soccer team even though no he, okay. he that was the only sport he didn't coach me and that's how i joke with him about the one sport he didn't coach me and i went pro in <laughs> yeah why you gotta be so disappointing like that <laughs> yeah 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 actually uh, even when i went to college uh i was playing the d1 at unlv right. he kept telling me to go out for the for the basketball team he's like just go to the open trial i was like dad it's a wrap i'm not, I'm not gonna make it in basketball <laughs> it's too late that ship sailed yeah that's t- still trying to get me it's funny <laughs> That's tight. You play it every day, though. A huge topic of conversation on this show is 
is the idea of like street soccer and, and playing for fun. I feel like most athletes who make it in soccer, it wasn't just club where they played because I feel like you got to get that that love for the game. So in federal way, it sounds like it was in the culture. Like how did that culture get started? Do you know or was it just there when you picked it up? No, it was there. It was already there. Like I said, if it hadn't been for that group of guys that was that were playing and girls that were playing in elementary, yep. um, I wouldn't have been doing it. But it was one of those things where I was so competitive and then it got into every single day we're playing this game. Yep. All right, well, I got to get better because I got to win at recess every single day. Because most of the time, honestly, it was like the kids, the group of kids that were on a club team, yep. they would say, all right, it's us versus everybody else. Oh, yeah. And so I started out on the other team trying to beat these like guys. So I was competing every single day and just loved the sport. So I ended up getting soccer balls, playing in my neighborhood, then getting the neighborhood to play. And then uh, finally being on the team. So I was one of the guys that was, all right, it's every, all of us versus everybody else. <laughs> you didn't uh, come back. You didn't come back for nah, any of your, yeah. <laughs> you're like, see it. Nah, forget you guys. I'm about to win. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah, man. I played every day at recess and obviously didn't get to the level you did, but I always thought it was cool. Like me and my, click of friends maybe six of us and like five of us made the made the top team in Spokane I felt like it just came from that playing every day so that's sick so how did you get involved in the club side of things I want to ask like your wiki just says Norpoint Chivas is that the only club team you played for no so I grew up in Federal Way so I started out in Boys and Girls Club because my parents like all the guys that had started playing in elementary they were on a club team like paying money for it and I went home when they asked me, they were like, do you want to, you should play for our club. I went home, asked my parents and they were like, hold on. Yeah. Like, you yep. need to, see, you really like this before we commit this amount of money to it. Cause I mean, you know, uh, growing up in that situation, it wasn't like we were just going to be throwing money at some random sport. So I started boys and girls club federal way, uh, did really well, uh, went into a rec league and did really well. And then I was able to join the club team. Uh, but then like around, uh, gosh, it was somewhere between like 11 and 13. I think U14, I ended up going to North Point, but I was in the federal way system all the way up till then. I ended up getting cut two years in a row. Wow. And the second year, I was about to just say, forget it. I was cut from the same team. So I got cut the first time. And uh, what, from North they, Point or from Federal Way? No, Federal Way. Wow. I got cut from Federal Way. And then uh, uh, so I went and played, I actually played rec, like 12 years old. Wow. I ended up playing rec again just to keep playing. And one of my best friends came and played rec with me actually. And then they wanted me to guest play on the federal way team for a tournament. And okay. so that, year, so I went back, guest played for him, scored like all the goals in the tournament. So I got on the team and then the next year I cut again. And so no. I was just going to call it a wrap. Like it costs a lot of money. Uh, if I wasn't going to be playing with my friends, why would I be playing? But through friends and family, they wouldn't let me quit. I ended up uh, trying out for Wade Weber um, in North Point, and he let me come and try out late. I made the team, and that's where I stayed till till the end. And actually, like five or six of my friends from the Federway team ended up coming over to the North Point team um, after I ended up getting cut. So that was pretty cool. What a revenge story! I like that because I feel like, I mean, you're coaching. Are you are you still coaching a little bit with Federway? Did I read that? Uh, I'm transitioning out right now, so okay. I just ended that trying to figure something else out but yeah i was coaching three yeah. three different teams in federal way i got you it's just interesting to me because you know they uh, the club starts so much younger now i feel like than when i was coming up probably when you were coming up and 
it's interesting because I've, you know, I've, I coached as well. And it's like 11, 12 year olds. And it's like their life is shattered if they didn't make the team they wanted when they're 11 or 12. So I think that's really sick. You didn't even make any team when you're 12 or 13 and, and you made yeah. it. So I guess any words of inspiration for like the young ones? Yeah. I mean, you can let those moments either break you or you can let them really define you. I think if I hadn't have if I hadn't pushed through, you know, with the support of friends and family, if I hadn't pushed through and, and kept working and believed in myself uh, the way they believed in me, then later on when I ran into a difficult time, I probably would have quit as well. Yeah. I probably would have just gave up, you know, but instead I, I bet on myself and I ended up ended up <laughs> making it through. I love that. Uh, so with, with Norpoint, one of the things, you know, I was going over this with my brother, even though he couldn't make it and you know, if you're from this area, you know there's three, four, five clubs that kind of mm. run the game. And especially, I feel like, in terms of college scholarships. And it seems like a lot of times these days you got to be with this club or go to this tournament. So how do you how do you go from Norpoint, which to my understanding was like a little bit of a lesser-known club, to a D1 scholarship? Yeah. Uh, much lesser. I mean, yeah. well, there was only two of us that went D1. And uh, I think one other guy went to – he went to Concordia. Um so we didn't have a lot of people going places, and that's just like you were saying. If you're not, if your club isn't going to the tournaments where you're getting seen, and you're not, you're not, you know, reaching out to coaches on your own, then you're really, you don't have that visibility. So it's unfortunate that like not every club has the same visibility, but that's, I mean, that's life, that's business, that's yeah. soccer, that's kind of everything, you know. Your preparation preparation has to meet opportunity, and if those don't co align, then like you might get missed. Yeah. Um, well, how did yeah. your how did your opportunity come about then? I actually wasn't even really recruited by UNLV. My best friend uh, was getting a scholarship and going there, and they knew about me, but I, it had to be him saying something and me reaching out, and then them bringing me in and. Uh, and I was, I had to be a walk-on. I, I didn't get any scholarship oh, wow. or anything like that. I was a walk-on and had to earn my spot, but ended up through preseason. Uh, I started every game for four years. Yeah. Yeah, Except I saw one. that. I got in trouble once. I got in trouble uh, once uh, and I had to sit out one. I couldn't start in the game. You want to share um, that story or keep that one under wraps for now? Yeah, I mean, math. Math is not <laughs> my strong you. point. And I got so, you. I had to get the grade up and got in trouble with the coach. And he was like, I'm not going to start you. But then it didn't help because we went, we were playing Denver and we went to Denver and we were down three in the first 15 minutes. And I wasn't starting. I was sitting on the bench, just fuming, you ever, angry that I wasn't starting. Did you ever have that devil on your shoulder though? That was like, well, they didn't start me. Yeah. Oh, this absolutely. Is what happens. Absolutely. There <laughs> was a voice in my head saying, oh, if he wants to sub you in, don't go. Yeah. Don't go. Yeah. Oh, big time! <laughs> but big time. you can't let your you can't let your teammates down and your ego yeah. and all that. Yeah. So, so yeah, just going to UNLV, I wasn't really um, I wasn't recruited. That was the same thing I just said. Like, my parents didn't know anything about college or college sports or contacting coaches. The club wasn't really involved in that um, at the time because it wasn't a big club. Didn't have right. the resources some of the other clubs did. So, um, because I was you know inactive and and not reaching out, then. I didn't really have options, even though that high school year I was state player of the year. Yeah, I read that. With nowhere to go. Yeah, because uh, it's yeah. interesting. So, if you if you do well in high school, no one really cares. They don't really check. It doesn't yeah. seem like. Um, yeah. So that's a whole nother thing. Well, for you. Yeah. Say what? 
that's not where they're looking for you no, in high no. school soccer. Yeah. yeah. My brother had a well, similar experience, not on the same level, but he wasn't at a big club. He tore it up his high school year, and then we were like, sweet, like excited for all the offers. Like, no, yeah. no, crickets, <laughs> crickets. <Nothing. laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, we'll, we'll get into the college stuff. I'm super interested to learn more about that, but we're going to close this section out with Oh Well by Boys to Men. You referenced this is a little bit back in time, middle school era Lamar Nagel, so like any good late 90s, early 2000s R&B hit, this song brings the drama and the heartache. So I'm curious what had a young Lamar connecting with this soulful track. Yeah, I um, I actually, so I met my wife when I was 13. Um, first time I saw her. And so this was actually a song that I would like think about when I, heard this song it was I would think about her because I had a giant crush on her but I was too shy to say anything so this was one of the songs like whenever I heard it and now whenever I see it I think about her you know when we were when we were super young and I was too shy to say anything so bro you're gonna ruin ruin it for the rest of us that's too romantic I like it by boys to men now we're going to transition into your time in college and the first few years you spent after that trying to establish yourself in mls the first track we'll play from this time is lupe fiasco's hip-hop save my life here it is in the grave tatted up while in the cage minute may got his mama working like a slave down baby mama who we really had to honor because she was his biggest fan even let him use a honda to drive up to dallas with to open up for amateurs let him keep a debit card so we could put gas in it told her when he get on he gonna take her to the gallery or buy everything but the mannequins you dig 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 this man called said your time might be now they played your freestyle over wipe me down they played it two times said it might be that was hip-hop saved my life by lupe fiasco that's a really good track in terms of identifying both the joys and the struggle that can come from dedicating yourself to a singular passion. I imagine that might be somewhat similar for you with soccer. So can you talk about what it's like to set off for college pretty far from home at UNLV, try to establish yourself as a player in an unfamiliar place? Was that more of a struggle or a joy to, to test yourself like that? Uh, both. Definitely both. I mean, uh, I always thought I was going to stay local. Mm. Um going to college. Uh, and then obviously this opportunity came up where I was going to be able to play D one somewhere. So I couldn't pass that up. Um, and heading there, obviously with no scholarship, trying to be <laughs> trying to walk on and actually make the team, not even sure if I was going to play or not. Um, so it was a huge, like 
struggle and and every single day in preseason you know you're questioning yourself every shot you miss you're doubting yourself yeah um but then through that gaining the confidence you know getting starts getting a scholarship after the first semester because i did so well and then after that first semester there was a player on my team rod dichenko who was drafted to dc united that year he was a senior and i was a freshman coming in and so me and him had comparable numbers in like goals and assists and stuff like that and so i was like oh man this just went from me not knowing if i could play it d1 to like seeing that there's a possibility that i can play as a pro if you know i keep this up and so that's really when my mind my mindset changed um from like can i do this to like how far can i go like i can definitely do this um it's just a matter of how far i want to go so that's when you know, I wish I would have done better in college, but my mindset was really like, can I get to this pro level? So for those four years, you know, I didn't go home summers. I went and played in PDL yep. uh, in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, and wow. yeah. Iowa. Now I'm curious about that. That's like a whole nother culture shock from UNLV. Yeah. When, and I'm curious, when does the country music, uh, you just said a few mm, country artists. Yeah. I'm like, this is a left turn. Was, was that a UNLV related? What's going on there? No, so my best friend that I went to college with, he was big in the country. And so we started living together as soon as we went over. We were in the dorms together, and the next year we, we got an apartment together. And he listened to country. And then I realized that, like, the lyrics were very similar to R&B. True. And so it was like, oh, it's just a different, like, beat. It's a different, like, they're saying a little different, but it's the same style. They're, they're talking about the same thing. And so, like, Rascal Flatts, Tim McGraw, um, that type of stuff, I was I was all over, and then from there, it just blossomed into me listening to the country on Pandora and exploring different artists and stuff like that. So I love it. Yeah, way too many people think that those genres are at odds with each other. Um, they're definitely not similar. They're mining yeah. really similar material. Um, but yeah, I want to get into like how how do you go? A lot of coaches I don't even think would give a walk on a, a chance to start. So what were you just balling out at practice or was? No, they saw they saw my uh, my tape. I think one of my coaches sent them tape. I just found out like uh, like a couple weeks ago. I did a I did a call with the UNLV soccer team, and the assistant coach was on there, and he's like, "No, we had your your CV, which was a, like your tape." And he's like, "I showed it to the head coach, and they saw you, you, but it was just too late. I was too late to get a scholarship yeah. for anywhere. So they they had somewhat of an idea, but in preseason, I, me and my best friend were killing it. We we were like training all summer, getting ready to go. And like, this is D one. We're not going to be able to play. Like we got to be fit. We got to be ready. And so we were killing ourselves that summer. How good good was it to have a support system like that? Like someone you could trust in the trenches. Cause I've heard some stories of people going off to college and they're like, Oh man, no one cares about you anymore. Like it can be a tough transition. Yeah. If I, if he hadn't have been going, I probably wouldn't have, I, I might not have gone. Um, just because if it was the sole fact of me going there for a walk on, yeah. If I was getting scholarship, then I would have gone. But like me trying to go walk on somewhere, like you know, um, that far away from home for the first time, it, I probably wouldn't have done it. Taking that, taking that chance, because I had a, I was gonna get uh, go to Seattle U and just be a student, and the financial aid I was gonna get was crazy, so I wouldn't have had to pay that much for a degree from Seattle U. So I was just going to do that, honestly, and just be like, all right, if they have a tryout, then maybe I'll try out. But they're one of the teams that saw me and said no my senior year. Wow. In club. So, uh, yeah, because they were 
D2 national champs the year before. So I was like, oh, man, it'd be awesome if I was able to go there. Um, but, yeah, if I wouldn't have had my best friend going to UNLV, I, I wouldn't have gone. That's wild. Uh, just to touch back on the the music from this time in your life a little bit, I also want to ask, you had a lot of Lupe Fiasco, a lot of Trey songs, but also some songs with some really like powerful messages, like Little Woman, He Say, She Say, From a Woman's Hand. Was Were you kind of getting more like, I don't know, socially conscious, for lack of a better term, hip-hop at that point, or was that always something you were interested in? I think I always listen to the lyrics a lot more than the like melody and beat. That's why R&B kind of, I kind of associated with that more um, when I was younger. I was always listening to the lyrics and then, you know, reading a little bit of poetry and that type of stuff. And so when a, a song really has a message that you can feel, it's just, it just helps you relate a little bit more. I feel like when you're listening to like a cool beat, it's just background music. It's just oh, background yeah. noise. You're not really paying attention. But for me, it was lyrics, album, are they telling a whole story? Like, what can I get from it? So yeah. yeah, that's why Lupe Fiasco resonated because of, you know, his lyrics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the best all time storyteller, too. And not just a lyricist. It's it's uh, yeah. very cool. So despite tearing it up at UNLV, uh, I believe you went undrafted. Is that right? Yeah. Again, I didn't get uh, I didn't get invited to the combine, even though I think I got the most votes that year from our conference. Wow. Um, our conference didn't get a lot of publicity. Same thing. You don't yeah. have the visibility, man. Um, but luckily, whenever I would go back for, excuse me, whenever I would go back for uh, winter break, uh, come back to Seattle, my high school coach was one of the assistant volunteer coaches for the Seattle Sounders. Oh, wow. So I would come train. So I would come train with them when I came back, and that's when I met Brian Schmetzer. And so 2009 came around. They were in preseason uh, in Ventura, California. And I was in Vegas. So he gave, actually gave me a call and was like, would you like to come out and train with us for a little while? So, um, I asked my professors, they said, go for it. I drove out to, to Ventura from, from Vegas, like three hour drive and then ended up training with them. Uh, and then I was going to be finishing college in May of 2009. Yeah. And so coach Ziggy, Ziggy said, you know, when you're done with college, if you're coming home, if that's your plan anyway, you can just start training with us and we'll see what happens. So I was putting all my chips in that, uh, kind of. I actually got my um, Irish passport so that if that didn't work out, I was going to head overseas and just uh, live with family and start trying to uh, try out for some teams over there. But Do you have anyway, an Irish I, citizenship? Yeah, I got I got dual citizenship. That's sweet. Yeah, my grandma is from Ireland. She's from Dungarvan. It's around uh, Cork County in Ireland. So we have a bunch of family over there and in England. And so that was my mom. As soon as I turned freshman and, and thought, or as soon as I was a freshman and thought I could play pro, um, she knew that there's a possibility of me going overseas. So she got my, she got her citizenship through my grandma. Yeah. And then after my mom got hers after like a year, then I was able to get mine the next year. So it's like a two year process, but my mom, uh, was, was pivotal on that. Good looking yeah. out from mom. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, yeah. I came back in May and I signed in June, uh, which was crazy. Um, surreal unbelievable yeah so. most good timing with the sounders coming pro so then you get yeah released again which at this point it sounds like pretty thick skin i would imagine at this point uh with <laughs> some level of disappointment i i had no idea you you've had to bounce back so many times so what brought you to charleston and then also 
I can't tell if it's my imagination, but it seems like a lot of Sounders players have gone to Charleston. So is that yeah? Is, that, is there some sort of connection there? They have a they have a connection. They have a good understanding. So I think Brian Schmetzer has a good understanding with Mike Anhauser, the head coach and GM at Charleston. And so I think that relationship might have spurred from Ozzy Alonso. Yeah. Originally. Uh, and then obviously through me even better and then a few more guys, uh, as well. But yeah, I, uh, ended up getting released late in preseason, uh, in 2010, uh, which happens to a lot of young guys. Yeah. I mean, MLS teams can kind of lead you on through preseason and, and just waiting to see if it works out. And if it doesn't then release you right before, you know, the season starts or preseason is ended. But it's unfortunate because, uh, at that time, a lot of these USL teams or lower league teams already have their rosters picked out um, and the money's gone. And yeah. so for me, that was that was the case. Um, and so I went to Charleston, uh, tried out, did really well, ended up scoring like a great goal right at the end of my trial, uh, getting got a contract offered to me. And then like the day I got the contract offered, I got a phone call from Austin, which was USL 1. And Charleston was USL two. Yeah. And I was like, well, I got to try to play at the highest level I can. Right. And so I told the the coach and GM that, Hey, thanks for the offer. I got to go try. Um, I got to try out at Austin that I'm going to go to. And I remember him being like, look, if you leave this offer, like there's no telling if it's going to be here when you come back, if you need to come back. Yeah. And so I was like, all right. So I ended up going, I mean, I, like I said, I, I bet on myself every time. And I went, and unfortunately, it was not the right circumstance. I didn't even get to train. They brought me in, and they had a game on the weekend. I got in on, like, a Thursday. And so Friday, they weren't training. Saturday, they had a game. Sunday was a regen. And then I was gone by, like, Monday. And then the coach told me that they were looking for a center back. And so <laughs> you're like, okay, <laughs> it was devastating. So then I went back to Charleston. The contract was, like, cut in, like, half which it wasn't that much anyway <laughs> to begin with. And so, uh, yeah, that's when I was like, look, I'm going to give this this year. And if it works out, it does. And I'll, I'll continue to go. If it doesn't, then I need to find something else. Cause I can't stay in, you know, these lower USL leagues for multiple years, uh, trying to make it work. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's changed a lot, even since you were there, but I was curious sort of what your take is on usl culture i feel like there's a lot of probably really interesting characters and soccer lovers and it's sort of a it seems like it's a place where a lot of really talented people are are banging away so when you were there was that a was that a good time were you able to stay focused on the goals with that team and not look too far out into the future and what you wanted how were you able to balance all that yeah i think for me um after getting released from an mls team and like being on such a high, right? I'm coming out of college undrafted, like halfway through the year I sign. The only two games I play for Seattle are Chelsea and Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and so like, and then I'm cut and thinking, all right, this might not be for me. Like, what am I going to do? It was really hard for me to even like think of making it back up there at that time. It was like, I need to grind right here where I'm at yeah. and see if I can do this and prove it to myself that I can do this. Um, and so I was focused. Our team was phenomenal. We had an amazing time that year was uh, a year that I will never forget. We ended up winning championship. I got golden boot and MVP. Our team was just a, a killer team with talented guys. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, 
I couldn't think more of the USL and what it does for American soccer and American soccer players. That's awesome. It's cool to see it grow. And I feel like that's a really good lesson uh, for listeners or young players because I've heard this time and time again, if you get too caught up on what's down the road and not focusing on how can I make an impact on this team that I'm on, uh, I've just heard a lot of stories of players getting tripped up. So that's cool to hear that you focused on this one thing and then you got this next opportunity. Um, I guess transitioning to yeah. this this track that we're going to play this section out with, Gotta Go by Trey Songs. Back to the R&B flow. It touches a little bit, seems like, on the sacrifices you have to make to sacrifice a dream. Is this... Well, I'll just let you explain. How does that song How does that song resonate with your life around this time? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think me having to to like leave home right after getting home and being like this, you know, amazing story of this kid finally made it. Um, and he's back in Seattle and his family's out watching him. And then like it just coming to an end. Yeah. And me having to to really go and do my own thing and try to figure it out for myself. And then. I mean, that, that really resonates on a few levels. Like, there are multiple times that happened when I left Seattle and had to come back. Or, you know, there's some, there's some you know, hit that you take. But you gotta, you got to just do your own thing, believe in yourself, and keep going. But since this thing is calling, I got to answer, dry your eyes. Girl, don't cry. Because you're making it hard for me. Because I don't want to leave. Gotta Go by Trey Songs, followed by some ads. We're going to transition to your time as an established player in MLS. For this section, we're going to start with Me Okay by Young Jeezy, now known as Just Jeezy. That was Me Okay by Jeezy, followed by some ads. I got to be honest, I did not know that song coming into this episode, but after checking it out, it's definitely going to be one of my new favorite hype tracks. I might <laughs> I might, I might, have to rock it before one of my you know, one. sad men's league games that I, I try <laughs> to do my thing in. <laughs> was that a pregame track for you, or how did you get into that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all that type of stuff when it's um, kind of the beat dropping and, and the lyrics are just all you know, about yourself, egotistic, like those yeah. are things that I listen to before a track, before a game, because you're trying to get up. It's the same thing as like visualization. Like you're telling yourself, you're talking yourself up, you're, you're being positive. And so like driving to the game, that was my time to be like alone and just in the car and just, um, feeling the music. And so it would be songs of that nature. 
and that was one that me and uh, Josh Ford, uh, nice. one of the old goalies uh, for the Sounders, used to listen to all the time. Even when we were just riding together, that would be one. If we want to feel good, throw that up, and we'll uh, we'll just ride to it. I love that. I'm, one of my favorite lines from Kanye, he said, if you like me, you're just a fan of yourself, which sounds really arrogant, but I, f- I feel like what he's trying to say is like my music gives people that sense of confidence, that sense of joy in yourself. I think yeah. that's one of the really misunderstood things about hip-hop in general. But that aside, when did you start to feel comfortable in MLS speaking of that confidence about who you were as a player and, and specifically what you as Lamar Nagel could do on the field to help your team? Oh, it had to be 2013 and 14. I mean, those were my kind of heydays in the on the Sounders because um, obviously, like I said, 2009, I didn't really play. 2011, I came back and I started scoring goals as a sub. And so I was really getting the flow, feeling it. And then I ended up getting traded to Montreal. I uh, didn't really have a good year there. And then I came back in 2013 was when I I was still on a, a contract where I wasn't really supposed to be playing that much, but I started playing a lot and scoring a lot of goals. And so um, that was just a time when I was just like, confidence is through the roof. I'm at home. I'm with my family. Um I was just able to be myself on the field uh, and just be as, as confident as I could be. And so 2013 and 2014 were definitely the, the moments when I was like, I belong here. Maybe I need to look possibly at a higher level because yeah. I was just feeling myself. Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> really? Well, if you can make your own me okay and, and name check some of your best skills, like what do you think, what do you think was your, your top qualities as a player? I mean, just – with the mindset that I had, the mentality that I had, um, it was, I've, I've always kind of had that at different times, uh, whether it was club or college, it was me stepping on the field and just looking over at the other team being like, there's nobody out here that can like touch me. Yeah. There's nobody out here that can hang with me. And it didn't matter if I was, cause for me too, um, as a pro athlete, I think it's, it might be a little weird, but I didn't even look at the other team, like watch the other team. I don't, I didn't care who I was playing against. I didn't like, Oh, they have this guy and they have that guy. I didn't know anybody. I didn't care. It didn't matter who you were, what team you were, who you had on your team. I was going to go out there and I was going to get my goals and nobody was going to work harder than me. I that was that. one of the part of like the pride that I had was uh, they started having the, the the monitors that showed how how far you ran in a game. Yeah. And I love to see my name at the top. Uh, Every single game, it'd be at the top. Practices, it'd be at the top. I was like, nobody's working harder than me out here. Totally. That's it's interesting too because I remember in that 2013-2014 season, I I know you were on the one wing a lot. I mean, there was Marco Papa who was maybe a little bit different mm-hmm. style, but I feel like Brad was on the other wing. I have to imagine he'd be pretty high on the distance covered ground yeah. covered thing. Oh yeah. So did you guys pride Absolutely. yourself on that? Like you got Dempsey and Martins up top, and we're gonna do the dirty work for these guys, and then banging some goals when we can. Yeah, I mean that's what it was. I think, but for me, like you had Brad Evans, who was a national team player. Yeah. Like our captain, you had Marco Papa, who was the number ten for his national team. Yeah. And then there was me from Federal Way, never been an All Star. I was like, I have to work harder than everybody to stay on this field. You know, um, if you get me in front of the goal, I was confident I was gonna score. Because uh, that was like my my best attribute was I could find the back of the net, but everything else in between, I just had to be the hardest worker on the field. Totally. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit different gear, but I think when I think of the Sounders in the early days, days I I consistently think of sort of maybe lesser known, lesser hyped American players coming out of college who 
maybe if it, if it wasn't for 10 years, but just had one or two years where they really did their thing, like guys like Mike Facito or an Alex Kasky or a Dylan Remick. And sometimes those guys, you took it to a whole nother level, but sometimes those guys would go to less talented clubs where it seems like it'd be easier to break in and not do as well. So what was going on in the Sounders culture where they it seemed like there was some opportunity and some guys like really took the most of it. Was that credit to Ziggy or the club or what was going on with that? Uh, it's gotta be a mixture of both. I think there has to be some sort of trust um, between a coach and the players that he chooses. Um, I think uh, culture around the Sounders. I mean, it was a thing where uh, we had a reserve league for a little while yeah. and I loved playing in those games. I mean, there were more of the games that I was getting and it was like the young guys on the Sounders, but I think this was 2011 but we went like undefeated and we were smoking teams and this was our time to shine. When other teams were like, I have to play in a reserve game. We were getting up for it. Yeah. We were the guys that were, were like, no, this is our chance to shine. We need to play well so that we can get on the first team. And we ended up killing it. And that was some of the, the best times. So before practice, after practice and reserve games, that's when um, all us young guys were, were together and just grinding, but having fun. Um, so it, it was probably part of the culture at the Sounders. Totally. Do you ever, I guess for me, I sometimes wonder, I feel like MLS is moving a little bit away from the college pool and I, I love what they're doing with their academy, but do you ever wonder, man, if I was coming up now, maybe I wouldn't get that look. Like how do you, how do you see the, the plates shifting in that way? Yeah. I mean, it's a, di a completely different landscape now with the, uh, well, especially now with the development academy, like leaving and the MLS picking it up. I don't know what it's going to look like. College soccer, high school soccer, are they really looked at when it comes right. to MLS? You know what I mean? Um, and so it might be a thing where college soccer players go USL or something like that. And if you're in the DA system or MLS system, then you, you go up that way and it might be hard to transition because it's very hard to transition from USL to MLS. Yeah. A lot of guys can go down, but to get back up, it's very difficult. There's a lot of times when you're a successful USL player and you can't get a, a shot on an MLS team or it's just not worth it. Totally. You go from being in the USL now, especially right now, to make, making good money to then trying to get a minimum contract on an MLS team. That's, it's a difficult play. So it might be where there's two separate systems in the U.S. I hope it's, it's easier, but... Would yeah. you like to see that's one of the whenever people talk about pro rail for me, I could really care less except for I would love to see the opportunity to see the guys who are killing it at the USL level. If their team gets promoted, get a, get a yeah. better chance to get seen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I mean, have I a question love, on that, but yeah, <laughs> what your thoughts are just the, the whole concept, the whole topic. Yeah. Um, I would love to have uh, the pro relegation thing here, but it's just not, it's not practical, especially with the MLS being single entity. Like, yeah. how are these teams going to buy in? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, some teams have been at, the, will be at the bottom of the MLS for years, but they still have more equity and they, they're more um, wealthy clubs than, you know, any of these USL teams. So it would be too difficult right totally. now the way it's structured. The MLS would have to buy everything and then it would have to, but the owners wouldn't allow that. So, yeah. Well, it's good, at least it seems like USL money's getting better. So hopefully, my whole thing is I yeah. just want there to be as many pathways for guys to make a career in soccer as they can. So maybe USL becomes its own yeah. own thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. There's so many good players out there. There's so many good players. There's not enough teams. So 
Yeah, totally agree. We're going to finish this section with My Oh My by Seattle's own Macklemore. You listed a lot of Macklemore songs, but I decided to go with this one because I feel like it really gets at the root of Seattle sports culture. So you've played across the continent, technically, with Montreal. Uh, but can you tell us what it's like to play specifically for your hometown city? Is it a little bit extra juice that goes in when you're playing for your hometown team? Yeah, absolutely you do. I mean, being able to come home and play in front of your entire family, especially for me with a with a very big family, um, it was it was amazing, especially like they never got to see me play really in college. And um, so to be able to play pro, but to come out and it, at the time, like 2009, Seattle was just getting the team. There was so much hype around it. It was massive. And so to be a part of that, um, probably for anybody was special, but for me was was crazy, especially with a you know untraditional pathway to the pros. It was very cool. And then everything about it just seemed like you were more all in, right? Like yeah. local artists, like, local businesses supporting the club and the community like I was like why wouldn't I how can I not so yeah did you have any sort of bond with the other Seattle guys on the roster like uh DeAndre or uh I guess Jordan you didn't cross over too much with but uh yeah definitely I mean um DeAndre when he first came we were roommates uh when he first came so and we hung out all the time me him and Josh yeah hung out all the time and just being able to, you know, reference that and being the two Seattle guys uh, was really cool. I actually remember Jordan when he came up and uh, played a couple like practice games with us um, and then obviously playing with him a little bit, but knowing him for a long time because he was in the academy. So I saw totally. him all the time and uh, knew that he was um, Dr. Morris's son. So that was <laughs> another thing. I was like, oh, yeah, it's it's. How's your how's your kid doing? Um, not knowing he was gonna come and be just a savage. Yeah, <laughs> it's there's definitely a connection there, and it's just you know you're you're that much more in tune with the community and, and the culture. So for sure, last last question on this section: Are you a Mariners fan? Can they be redeemed? They've it's hard for me to watch them these days, but people forget back in the day they were a good sell, they were a good watch. So any thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Back when I was playing baseball, yeah, the Mariners were were awesome. Like I was in the Boys and Girls Club. I had the Mariners hats, you know, um, the Ken Griffey Jr. I still got the Ken Griffey Jr. shoes. Um, but can I say I'm a fan? I don't really watch it anymore. I've been to a few games, but it's usually just standing in the beer garden. Yeah, it's tough, right? Yep. It's I tough. Um, I would love to see him do well again because any sports team that does well, like the fans are behind. It's just it's so many. Unfortunately, it's 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 tough. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. We can we can leave it at that. But I yeah. hope they come back because I think Seattle would still rally behind them. I think all the demons yeah. will be forgiven immediately if they come back. Yeah, absolutely. We're so, rooting for you. Yeah, we're rooting. Yeah. Amen kind to of. that. <laughs> kind of, right? Like you know, we will root for you. <laughs> yeah, we'll root for you. <laughs> That light rain, demon in that night game Can't stop now, keep moving, no break pads Came here to prove a point Live my life on the field, make history In between the base path And compete against the fear that is in me That's my only barrier and I swear that I'ma break that 
from the mud The cleats that we drug through the feet This is that moment and you cannot take it back And I don't really collect cards anymore Just a box and some old cardboard Memories embedded in the dust And the fibers that age just like us Living somewhere off in a drawer This is what you make of it Yeah, we play to win Living like we're under the lights of the stadium Fight until the day that God decides to wave us in Right until he waves us in It's my city, my city, childhood, my life That's right, under those lights My city, my city, childhood that was My Oh My by Macklemore. We're going to get into your post-MLS days with a song by the late, great Nipsey Hussle called Hustle and Motivate. Here it is. People gonna call it the truth. I ain't really trip on the credit. I just paid all of my dues. I just respected the game. Got my name all in the news. Tripping on all of my moves. Quote me on this, got a lot more to prove. Remember I came in this bitch. Fresh out the county with nothing to lose. On the ground, oh, yeah But I don't do this shit for nothing No, 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 oh. not at all, yeah My mama need red, money red That you do, oh, yeah, no. So I don't do this shit for nothing That was Nipsey Hussle's Hustle and Motivate. So for those who don't know, beyond being a rapper, I'd say Nipsey Hussle was known for being a great motivator and educator. And one of his big concepts, I believe, is the idea of the marathon and trying to stay steady on your grind through life's ups and downs. Sounds like that's sort of been really true for you throughout your career, but now that you're entering this post-MLS phase of life, can you speak to the marathon and maybe just the importance of Nipsey Hussle in general? Yeah, so obviously the marathon is is massive, and and for a professional athlete, um, the years go by very quickly, and it's yeah. a very short time period. And so trying to make the most of that while also having a, a bigger idea of like the big picture is is difficult at times, but necessary. And luckily, I think a lot more athletes today are are understanding that than than before. So. Um, for me, yeah, that's, that's part of it. Like finishing school, while I was still playing and, and now like, you know, uh, got married and started to have a family while I was still playing. So my mindset changed thinking of, you know, obviously the future and when this ends and what am I going to be doing? And so, and then the community side of it, I mean, Nipsey Hussle was huge in the community and that's why he's, you know, he is what he is to the culture. Yeah. Um, just being a philanthropist and, and telling people to keep grinding, but then investing in your own community and, just his business aspect of investing and and like saving his money like yeah that's that's something that's completely different and i think um yeah he was he was huge and i didn't even i didn't even listen to him honestly before he passed away i didn't even know i didn't even know about it but then as soon as he did and i saw so many people reaching out and like talking about him and like what he was rapping about and then i started to hear like little clips i was like oh man i started listening to him and was blown away yeah, absolutely. He's it's it's a shame that uh that we didn't more of us didn't know about him before he he had to go. But good to rep him now. Shifting a little bit again, one of the post MLS adventures you've been on is playing for the Tacoma Stars. We talked about playing for the hometown Sounders. Is there even another level? Oh, by the way, shout out Spokane Valley's Mikey Ramos, Spokane holding it down. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely went to some battles with him and 
always lost, you know, for sure. A million times better player than, than yeah. I was, but I, I know him from the, from the local scene for sure. Uh, but anyway, yeah. is there a, is there a sense of pride even more when you're playing, not just for Seattle, but the South sound where you're from representing that? Yeah, I think that was a big reason for it. Um, just being, staying local and being able to play and have family come see me play. But then like Tacoma stars, that's, that's, um, that's a lot of history yeah. out here in the Northwest. I mean, my coaches, my, my old coaches, Ralph Black, shout out to Ralph Black. He played there. Um, a lot of, a lot of guys came up playing the indoor, I think Precky, I think he was playing there too. Um, and so just to be able to be able to play and to feel that kind of local feel as well, all the guys on the team, you know, they're, they're from here for the most part. So we have some sort of connection and we know, you know, somebody knows somebody, somebody grew up with somebody. So it's, it's been a fun time. Never thought I'd play indoor. It's completely different. It's yeah. crazy. It's difficult. It's challenging. And I think um, that's why I enjoyed it so much. Well, I was going to ask, with the physicality part of it, you've got these intense shifts. But, you know, for those who don't know, it's one or two minutes and, and then you're out. So is that harder or easier maybe as, as an older player to do these intense shifts that are short versus a long, arduous outdoor game? Uh, I mean, it might be a little bit easier because I can say when I come on and when I go off, right, I can, <laughs> right. I could just run off real quick and then run off or tell the guys, look, look, I'm not going right now. I'm, I'm dying. So it's easier just in that sense, but it's completely different. Now, I mean, if you're on for two minutes, you're dying and you're yeah. a liability to your team. So it's an ego check as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's an intense game. Okay. And then, so from the physical side, very intense, I've always kind of wondered, I mean, I play a little indoor-outdoor myself. It's kind of interesting. Do you think it's – obviously, the level's different, but do you think, generally speaking, the indoor game is more or less technical than the outdoor game? Because on the one hand, you've got the walls, so that means maybe you need slightly less control. But on the other hand, you can't pace anybody, really, in indoor. The field's, like, too small, I feel like. So do you feel like your touch and your technical point has to be more, more or less in indoor? Yeah, you definitely have to be on. I mean, there's there is no there is no, you know, you're you have 15 yards each way of space, you know, an outdoor and it's one on one and he has no help. He's on an island. That doesn't really happen in indoor. Everything happens so quick that you have to be mentally in tune and technically in tune in order to be successful. So um, at the higher levels of indoor. Yeah, it's 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 way more intense. I didn't um, I didn't realize that jumping into it. Um, and especially tactically as well. Yeah. Like you don't have a lot of time to recover in outdoor. The ball's traveling for a very long time. You might have time to recover, but in indoor, that's not the case. So what type of player do you think is best suited? If you can make your perfect indoor player foothead on FIFA, what are the stats <laughs> looking like for that player? Uh, I mean, speed still has to be very high. I mean, yeah, speed kills in any situation. So Speed is high, uh, balance and mobility, like um, balance and the strength would be high. And it depends on positionally, right? If you have a if you have a target forward, then you want a big body who can hold guys up and hold yeah. the ball up, turn and then hit. And you know, it doesn't need to play that much doesn't need to play that much defense. But in the back you have to be mobile. In the midfield you have to you have to have a lot of stamina because it's a lot of running from up, down, up, down, two runs will kill you especially with adrenaline going so yeah it depends on positionally but i mean te just technically you have to be more more um strong and then savvy there's a lot of like set plays and and positioning that like 
if you don't understand, then you will be lost and you'll have your head on a swivel looking around like what just happened. Well, that sounds like a fun new adventure. Can the fans count on you coming back or do you think you might be transitioned or hold that close to the vest for now? Uh, I'm a hold back. I mean, I'm trying to, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping coaching. So I'm trying to transition into a different career. It's just yeah. a matter of what that is and what time that allows me. So totally. Well, we're going to end this episode with Joyner Lucas's will, which is a tribute to Will Smith, who Lucas looks at as a role model. As you look back at your own very impressive playing career, if you can make your own rap tribute to any of your role <laughs> models, who are some of the folks you'd include? Oh man. Uh, I mean for like could be anything. Yeah, I mean Yeah, it could be anything, right? Like I mean Tupac was huge when I was younger. Thierry Henry and Didier Drogba were like two huge players that I looked up to. Um, you know, there are people in my family that, that had a huge influence on me and just who I am today. Um and so it would be a myriad of, of people for sure. I, I, could, I don't know if I could do just one. I wouldn't do anybody justice. So, All right. Uh, this resonated. Will Smith was was massive for me as uh, well. So, yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? Favorite? No, I can't. I couldn't pick a favorite movie. I used to watch Fresh Prince all the time. Even in college, I had DVDs, and it would just be on in the background. Um, but I think that's around the time Hitch came out. Uh, yeah. But, I yeah. mean, all of them. I was watching all of them. Yeah. Everything Will Smith that way they'll I'll, I'll watch what a legend um so they also talk about building your life one brick at a time you feel like that's yeah. where you're at now um kind of figuring out these next steps yeah i think that's where you always are i think the the moment you stop and take a look and think oh man i made it is the time you stop really grinding and progressing and evolving so i think no matter where i am um i'm still going to be just laying bricks and you know at the end maybe there's a maybe there's a giant wall Maybe there's not, but I think for you to focus is is on the now and, and what you can do to make yourself better. So, Absolutely. I think already you got a pretty good wall, pretty good legacy going. So <laughs> any final thoughts, anything you want to share of what you're up to, fans or anything? Or, uh, Yeah, just all I'm doing is um, trying to figure out the next step right now. And uh, like we were talking about, that's it's a long process and it's one that doesn't end. So um I would just encourage everybody to keep taking steps. It's like we were talking about before. When you when you pick your head up and look at where you want to be, that's the moment that like you might not be making moves. You might just be standing there thinking how how far away it is. But you got to take that first step. So that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'd like you know everybody to kind of do. I love positive. that. Yeah, it's a great note to end on. We're gonna play this episode out with Joiner Lucas's will. Lamar, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us. Best of luck with your next endeavors. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Still alive. I'm feeling like Will. I feel like a prince. I'm feeling myself. 
I'm loaded with bills. Cause I was blessed with no uncle Phil. Don't know how it feels. I wanted to flex, they told me to chill. I'm making a flip. My life is a flick. You don't start there. You say, I'm gonna lay this brick yeah. as perfectly as a brick can be laid. You do that every single day. And soon you have a and wall. And soon you have a wall. wall.